Welcome to Navigating the Divider, the show that sheds light on the lived experiences of newcomer youth in Canada, such as the pre and post migration stages and all things in between. I'm your host, May. I am your host, Mingmar. On today's episode, we will be joined by Melissa St. Martin, who was once a non status newcomer youth to Canada for 10 years. She shares her immigration story on the pre and post migration process, as well as providing insights on her employment and education barriers. This is a trigger warning as the following discussion will contain sexual child abuse, violence, and trauma. Listener discretion is advised. If you or someone you know is experiencing sexual abuse, please reach out. Resources are available such as the Salsa Women's Helpline at 1-866-863-0511. They provide free, confidential, and anonymous crisis counseling, emotional support, information, and referrals in up to 200 plus languages. Or you can call the Toronto Rape Crisis Centre, which is a 24-hour crisis line at 416-597-8808. Links and telephone numbers will also be in the description below. Now it's time to welcome our guest, Melissa St. Martin. Hi, Melissa. Thanks for joining us. It takes a lot of courage to come on the show and share a part of your life that is so personal. Hello. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Let's begin with a little overview about yourselves. I know that you mentioned that you migrated to Canada 17 years ago. Yes, I've been here for 17 years. I migrated in 2003. I am currently married with two children. Did you come here with your family? No, I didn't. I didn't come here with family. My mom was already in Canada and my mom divorced my dad. So my dad was in St. Lucia and everybody that I knew was back home in St. Lucia. I was actually escorted with a friend of the family who was on vacation in St. Lucia. My mom decided that she would bring me up. Although I did come up here the first time, again, with my fa- I did come up here with my family for vacation. But the second time, she thought because I would be alone, and since there was a friend coming up, she just thought it would be easier when it comes to like crossing the border, dealing with immigration and stuff like that. It would have been easier for me to pass. Because of her experience, she did have some... A kind of a negative experience when entering the country so she didn't want that to happen to me. Since your mother was already in Canada was that the main reason for wanting to migrate to Canada to be reunited with your mother or were there other reasons for migrating? Um, I came to Canada because my mother and my extended family they were concerned about my emotional and mental health. When I was roughly I believe around my 10 years around that age I was like sexually abused. I was molested constantly from people that my mother trusted. So before my mom left, she left me for my aunt and my aunt was married and she had a husband. My aunt did have her children and her grandchildren there also along with me. A lot of them, they grew up, they migrated, but it was left with just the grandchildren. And from the time I was 10 years old, it was just only me. I was, you know, I was constantly, constantly molested by, by him. I was kind of quiet and very shy. So there was no way like I could have said anything to my aunt. I believe because if I did say something, she wouldn't have believed me. So I just endured endured it. And uh, as I grew older, without me saying anything, my, my extended family knew something was wrong. And then I believe they mentioned it to my mom and that's how it came about that they said I should leave the country and be with my mom. I'm so sorry this happened to you. And you know, you're very brave to speak out about this situation. 
situation. I'm glad that you're able to speak out now because it's so important to find your voice and kind of finally release your emotions. You know, this is just the beginning towards your path of healing. And I just want you to know that sharing your story on this platform is so important and this will help individuals who are going through this to know that you're not alone. So let's talk about when you arrived in Canada. What were your thoughts about embarking in a new journey, starting a whole new life? I was excited. I was excited to visit everywhere. I had high hopes that everything would be smooth. It would be like a smooth journey. I would go to college or even university, maybe just travel in and out of the country. Basically just enjoy life. And did your idea of Canada meet its expectations when you actually arrived in the country? No, because the media portrayed everything differently. Back home, like everything is like beautiful, like everybody's rich. There's no problem, like there's no hunger. Everything is just amazing overseas, unlike your country where we have like poverty, dry, hot sun, you know, and stuff like that. So Canada was totally different. Yeah, and I do believe the media definitely does play a role. Like on TV, I know that it'll specifically advertise only the positive aspects of migrating to Canada to kind of attract migrants. However, they yes. do leave out the barriers that individuals actually have to go through when they actually land, which is why like some migrants may be shocked or disappointed during the first few months in Canada. Yeah, true. Yeah, and I feel like everyone's experience is different as well. Some individuals yeah. may have an easier time integrating to Canada and others not so much. Like, there's honestly a bunch of factors that come into play. I agree. And in your experience, Melissa, were there any particular cultural differences between St. Lucia and Canada? No, not really. I believe because I was young, it was like an easy transition. They dress the same way we do. The foods may be a bit different. There's more hair, has more fast foods. Compared to here, it's more like you have to make your own food. But there's no difference. And how about the weather? Because oh, Canada yes. is cold. <laughs> that is the yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a difference. That's one of the differences. I didn't remember. Yes, for sure. Saint Lucia is like hot twenty four seven. Yeah, it's a nice island, you know. Yes, twenty four seven. But here, I think the weather, it's humid here compared to over there, back home. It's like, I don't know how to explain it, but then the winter, go ahead. Yeah, I get what you mean, because like, when it's hot in Canada, it's very like sticky, humid. But like, I find Mm -hmm. that like Caribbean countries, when it's hot, it's like a nice hot, you know? Yeah, plus we have the trees and stuff like that. So it's like kind of different. I don't know how to explain it. Here you have less trees. I see they cutting down too many trees. And we need trees in order to get our oxygen. Yeah, um, for so sure. if you cut down all the trees here, what is the point? It's like it's just humid. But back home, we have more trees. It's an island. So there's Especially always shade. Yeah, there's always shade. Apart from that, the winter is like something I wasn't expecting. The first year is beautiful. You know, you experience it for the first time. Everything is nice. Yeah, and then every year after that, it's just kind of like, oh, let me just get the Yeah, it's brutal. <laughs> you saw snow for the first time in Canada. Yeah, I did. And how was that experience? But I was expecting to be like really like excited about seeing it, but it was like a, just a, ah, it's okay kind of feeling. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. And I think that goes back to like the media and how they portray Canada, you know? And then when you actually experience it, it's like, oh, it's just snow. Yeah. <laughs> Growing up in St. Lucia, we're supposed to say hello to everyone. As soon as we see somebody, it could be a neighbor, a friend, anybody, we have to greet them, say hello, good morning. But here in Canada, like I try to say hello to my neighbor and they look at me like something is wrong. So I think that was more of a big cultural difference for me. Yeah, especially coming from a small island. Like, does everyone know each other? In the community, yes. Oh, okay. And then when you came to Canada, it was just kind of a big cultural shock. Yes. Were there any language barrier, Melissa? No, there wasn't. And I believe I was lucky for that because in my country, we speak French Creole. In Canada, no one speaks it except if you're a Lucian, right? So it was just English and French in Canada. I think that's much easier for you to settle in Canada, right? Yeah. For me, as a immigrant to Canada, it's like uh, I had language barriers. Quite difficult for me to settle in Canada. I could imagine. What are the some of the barrier or restriction, particularly for non-status individuals? Well, being non-status, obviously, you cannot work the way you want to. You cannot pursue an education. You cannot visit any doctors without paying. You cannot travel outside the country. You cannot vote. Basically, you're restricted to almost everything, even your freedom in Canada. You always have to be looking over your shoulder and constantly living in fear, a fear that one day somebody will pick you up and deport you. Yeah, you might be very traumatized at that moment, right? Yeah. So you cannot travel when you miss in, uh, your family, like uh, when you miss your back home. When you get the sick, you cannot go to see doctor, right? So you are scared, right? Exactly. So that's like uh, one of the, I think, biggest challenge in your lifetime, I think. Yeah, you just restrict it. You, you cannot do anything. Like, yeah. you just have to be aware of your surrounding, you know? You're scared to do anything. And so one thing is like, uh, you cannot share like with your friends or like, thing. you cannot go with uh, anyone, right? So you are you are scared like exactly. uh, you never know the government exactly. might deport you right so i think that's exactly. very challenging so i think that that one's like one of the most like difficult yeah exactly okay so it's like such a long time like almost like 10 years so you never made like police or something like that they ask you for the status or no no police has never stopped me before when you go to see doctor did they ask for your status or no no doctors don't usually ask for status but they do ask or your health card and even then when you go see the doctor you even fear you just like in your mind you know they're not gonna call immigration but you constantly thinking like if you say you don't have your health card they're probably gonna be on your back you're gonna be dialing immigration and to come pick you up it's like you just fear everything you fear the worst all the time so did you avoid the doctors the whole 10 years of being a non-status or did you eventually find clinics that could actually take you? Because I know that there are some clinics in Canada that give free health care to non-status migrants. At that time, I wasn't aware that there was a clinic. It took me about five years to find that out because I was isolated. I had nobody to talk to. I didn't know anything about doctors. And yes, I needed a doctor around those times, but I didn't know where to go or how to go about doing that. Because I, I know I needed a health card and without a health card, I couldn't see the doctor. So if I did see the doctor, I had to pay. So I wasn't aware of no free clinic because I know as a non-status person, you're not eligible for almost anything in the country so I assumed that there was no free clinic yeah and I think this type of information I think Canada as a country should actually advertise this stuff to those especially with non-status not having a health card right you're restricted and you don't know that there is help I agree so when you were a non-status newcomer did you ever feel like you wouldn't get Canadian citizenship yeah of course many times it was a struggle 
I cried almost every day. And I also envied people that had status. The things that people can do, you cannot do it. Because you're always in fear that somebody's going to come for you. So you just isolate yourself. Other people, they're carefree, and you know. But for me, it was more isolation. Because if you were deported, you'd be made fun of. It's a stigma, basically, when you get deported. When you're non-status, a lot of people, they're like more undercover. They, they're more quiet about it. But being a non-status person, you know another person who is also non-status. Mm -hmm. Because you behave differently, you move differently. Mm -hmm. And you just have to be extra careful compared to others yeah. where like they, they're just free to walk out the door, no worries, yeah. you know, looking over yeah. your shoulder. Because I remember one time I was at work and I believe one of the agency workers was also non-status. But I believe there was a confrontation with another worker and she said that she called immigration and my heart dropped. I was scared to death that mm -hmm. somebody was going to come. So the whole day, my heart was just pounding. I didn't stop until it was time to go home. And that's when I breathed a sigh of relief that no one came. Because mm -hmm. that day, I thought I was going to be deported for sure. And that's what they said to you, that like someone was coming? Yeah, because the supervisor came up to me and said, she asked me, do you have um, your work permit? I lied about it. I said yes. And she, and I asked why. She's like, one of your co-workers called immigration. So I just wanted to know whether you're safe. I'm like, wow. okay. When she told me that, my heart dropped. I was like, get to death. I know I lied and I shouldn't, ha shouldn't I have. But, but then I was at work and this is the only work I know I depended on. And I know it's stuff out there. You do, you're a non-status. There's no way you can get work that easily. Mm -hmm. And I was at that time, it was like I was already five years in when they asked me. So I didn't want to say no. And then she would have known that. It would have been a problem. They would have contacted the agency and, you know, I don't know what would have happened, but I just wanted to be safe. So I lied and I said, yes, I know it was wrong. No, it's but, understandable, you know, right? Because, like, you, you need a way to make money. And, like, if you don't have yeah. citizenship, you can't, you don't have a SIN card and you can't apply anywhere, essentially. That was kind of your only way to make income. Yeah. And what happened in the end? Like, did you think that the supervisor just said that to kind of scare you? Or do you think one of your coworkers actually called? During the break, I believe she, she said she called, but I am not sure if she did after hearing her i don't believe that she did she probably lied about it because she too was at work why would you call immigration and you at work mm -hmm. so that means if i were to go or anybody else were to go you would go too yeah for the supervisor i'm not sure if she went to anyone else to ask them but i know after she asked me i was so fearful that i was literally trembled i was yeah. trembling i was so scared wow. and then i am thank god i believe the next day i think i stayed home just to be on the safe side i heard nothing about immigration coming and, and it was just a sigh of relief but from me being there for over 10 years immigration didn't come i'm thinking like that might have just been like a scare tactic it was because that was <laughs> that, that was random you know five years in and all of a sudden the supervisor yeah says, oh like someone called immigration yeah that was the only time i was fearful like out of the all the time i was non-status that was the oh that was the day i could never forget that day i don't know what i guess any non-status person would experience it they would know like whoever experienced it would know how it feels your life is basically in danger your life in canada you know any moment like they could just say oh yeah you have to take you yep and even if you were on the street i probably think it would have been differently because you shouldn't be working as a non-status person you have no work permit yeah and 
how do you deal with being a non-status, like constantly looking over your shoulder? How do you cope with that? I was just keeping it safe, basically. What I did was go to work and come home. And that was my life. I didn't make friends because if I would ha were to have friends that did have status, they would know that I didn't have status. And if I were to make friends that did not have status, I would join their club and one day immigration might be looking for her and I would have been, I would have been picked up too. So I tried to stay home, isolate myself. It was just me and myself and to go to the grocery store and home, work and home. That's it. So you were just constantly being on the safe side. Yeah. A girl that was, I think she came up a couple of years after me and she was careless, I would say. She was like doing her thing everywhere and she eventually got caught. I believe somebody called immigration on her and I believe that elder person was there for over 37 years, also non-status. And when immigration came for the young girl, they took both of them. So wow. from there, I learned from people's mistakes. And how did immigration I, end up finding them? Like... Did somebody call immigration and then... Yeah, so somebody called immigration on her. It's sad, especially like being in Canada for like 37 years. It's basically yeah. the life that you so, know. You don't know anything else anymore. Yeah. When you're non-status, it's kind of different. Like you hear stories of only non-status people. You hear a lot of stories and, you know, you try not to be in that situation. I, you try not to go to clubs. You try not to be among people, you know. But that's from my experience. Everybody's experience is different. How difficult it is to look for a job for the non-start person in Canada? I believe I was one of the lucky ones. My mom told me about a job. I don't remember what location, but I had to be there like six o'clock in the morning. It was new to me. There was no maps on the phone at that time. So it was like, it was difficult to get there anyway. So I remember asking the bus drivers and all of those things to get there. When I did get there, I'm entering the place. I'm seeing everyone with winter jackets and get to find out that it was a freezer job. Like we had to work in a, a chicken factory. I didn't want to work there. And luckily, by the time they got to me, they already had the maximum occupancy that they, that they needed. And I was like, thank God. But at the same time, I was crushed because I had to go back home to tell my mom that I didn't get a job. At that time, there was some African guy. I remember him very well because we were friends after, after then. He came up to me and said that there was a factory job. He asked me, if I was interested. I think he was driving a white cargo van. There were other people on there. I was, I'm like, sure, because I see there were other people. I wasn't afraid. I went with him and we went to Vaughn and hold and behold, there was like a factory job. And I ended up working there that day. And ever since I worked there 10 years, so for me, it, it wasn't as hard or as difficult. Maybe other people did have difficulty, but not with me because I, I had that stable job every single day. And you didn't need any type of paperwork to work that job? It was kind of like Yeah, cash. you didn't need it because uh, the number of people that was on there, I believe most of them did not have any status or work mm -hmm. permit. What I'm thinking right now is that guy probably did that often. They probably like go to that factory and like know that there's a lot of workers or 
are a lot of individuals there that are non-status. Probably a routine for him. That's what I'm thinking. Oh, I I don't know. I believe at that time too, his girlfriend was also non-status. That agency specifically hired non-status people. I believe it's an agency. They don't really care if you have work permits or not. But the agency knew about it that we didn't have any statuses, any work permits. So they took advantage of that. Did your non-status block your potential to to get some like better better job? No, it didn't stop me from from working better. It actually motivated me because I know I had I didn't have a social insurance. I did not have a work permit, and I knew I had this job. So I was determined to work hard. and i did and with time and progress and determination my work was actually seen and i was often approached for being full time with the company but again i have i had to lie about why i couldn't become full time so you you never felt that you wanted to change a like better place to work yeah of course like i never worked in a factory back home and my intention wasn't to work in no factory in no country and then i wanted to move out of the factory but knowing that i ha- i did not have a work permit Would have limit my chances of getting any other job. I knew they were like cleaning jobs, but cleaning for for people constantly doing the same thing. No, it was like babysitting or cleaning or or the factory. There was like three options for me, but I would, I prefer the factory because the, I knew that I had that job and I was moving up in position. I was seen by the employers as a good worker by my supervisor, also as a good worker. I did want to change. I would have liked to change. We did product soaps and stuff. So I didn't like the smell of the factory, and I, I wanted to quit so bad. I was ready to give up, but you know there was nothing else to do. All right, and how did you finally get citizenship status? So there was a, a friend of the family who was interested in me, and that was years prior, and I kept turning him down. And uh, one point in my life, I gave up. I gave away. everything i had and i called him up and i told him that i'm going to leave i mean i would be leaving the country i am not sure what day cuz i didn't at that time i didn't book the flight like as yet it was a spontaneous thing yeah so he came to my house and uh, he begged me not to go and he said um if i didn't leave then he would have sponsored me cuz i knew he liked me and stuff so but, but when he said that i kind of hesitated but i agreed so we got into a relationship because we did, we have to do common law um we had to be living together for about a year to apply under the common law spousal edu- application so we lived together for a year and so yeah i applied for common law common law takes about 3 years so after 3 years i was granted permanent resident did getting citizenship feel liberating after 10 years i know you mentioned before that you were constantly looking over sh- your shoulders and being worried about deportation Did you finally feel safe and just kind of a sense of relief? In the beginning, after I was granted permanent residence, in the first month, it was kind of difficult. Like every day I wake up, I have to remind myself that I am Canadian. I am. I have permanent residency, so I don't have to be fearful anymore. So every day I would wake up and still believe that they're chasing me, they're hunting me. I keep forgetting, you know. So it took a while in order to process that. But after I did, two years later, I applied for citizenship because even though you're a permanent resident and something were to happen and you, you were still. to end up in jail, mm-hmm. you could still get deported. So I had to make sure I was Canadian citizen. I was happy. I was free. Directly after I, I got my my permanent resident, I applied for school, and directly after I was. then i went on vacation for the first time and that's when i really felt free
Because mm, you weren't able to leave the country for 10 years, right? You're yeah. Just stuck in Canada. Stuck in Canada, yes. And where is your life currently? Currently, I'm in a social service worker program. On the flip side, I want to be an immigration officer. I understand what non-status people are going to, you know, applying for applications and the process and everything. I understand the whole burden. So I believe being an immigration officer, probably I'll have a little bit of leniency on the people who are actually trying to accomplish something. That's great. Being a part of the social service field can definitely help change kind of the stigma and the perceptions about non-status newcomers that you mentioned earlier, especially from someone who has been through the whole process. So Melissa, if there was one piece of advice to give individuals that were that are in your position that are still struggling to secure citizenship status, what would it be? There are resources in place for people of non-status. Don't limit yourself to anything. If you need to get a bank card, go for it. If you need to get a driver's license, go for it. All they can do is tell you no. And secondly, apply for something. Rather than looking over your shoulders, send in an application. Do something rather than living in fear. Yeah, that's great advice. I'm sure this can encourage our audience to never give up on applying for permanent residence and citizenship. Thank you for sharing your experience of your migration journey as a non-status, Melissa. It was great having you on the show. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Navigating the Divider. Before we go, if you enjoyed our show, make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast so you'll never miss a show.